Julian Rushbrook, your host for History Most Queer. Thanksgiving season is upon us. Now, I am not going to delve into the rather troubling history of this holiday's origins in the United States, because that is a story for another podcast. Instead, I will focus more on the togetherness that the mythology of this event is more often uh, focused on. Anytime family and friends gather together, invariably, stories will be told. Perhaps a recounting of a silly moment when Grandma was in grade school. Or that one uncle telling how he was this close to being a member of the Backstreet Boys, despite him having the singing voice of a chainsaw. But then there are those times when the sun sets and the fire is casting long shadows that flicker and dance. In the darkness and chill, everyone huddles together as a voice spins a tale so tall and so wondrous that each listener forgets the cold as they journey along with the storyteller. Oral traditions for passing on history, folklore, and wisdom are part of every community in which a human being is present. Whether a culture has invented writing or not, the storyteller is a universal presence. No matter how well-crafted a paragraph, inflections are something that only a voice can convey. As we continue our celebration of queer First Americans, I thought we could all sit around the fire where I will recount some tales that belong to various nations within Indian country. After a feast, it is, after all, the best way to enjoy an evening with loved ones. I want to start out by giving credit to Jim Elledge and his anthology of queer First American stories, gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender myths from the Arapaho to the Zuni. It was published in 2002, and my little story of getting my hands on a copy of this book is harrowing in and of itself. Suffice it to say, I finally was able to obtain a copy from Germany, and now can bring the tales collected therein to you. If you're able to get a hold of a copy of your own, you really ought to. Jim Elledge is also an author of several other books, on queer-related matters. I just want to make sure to give him the credit for his work. There are short tales such as how the lizard sodomized coyote, which will give you a bit of a chuckle, so I highly recommend finding a copy of this text. Until then, I will pick out a few stories from it to tell. I hope that you enjoy. The first story is 
titled Origin Tale, and it's by a member of the Kamiya Nation, a people located in southeastern California and northwestern Mexico. It is an origin story, and I've always enjoyed such tales, whether it be the Hebrew creation story or even the fictional tale of how Middle Earth was created in the Silmarillion. I've always been fascinated with how people explain the various wonders of the natural world. So, let's begin. The earth and the sky lay close together when they were made in the beginning of the world. Between them were the five beings, Chiyuk, Chiyi, Pukamet, Astama, and White Pukamet was the chief god. Chiyuk and Chiyi reached to the west, where the sky and earth touched, and took handfuls with small red ants. These they put on the ground, and stirred around with their hands. They did this to make the earth dry, for it was wet. They appointed the god Pukamet to be their son and chief over the people. Mastamho was there as a spirit. He took Pukamet's place when the latter died, as related beyond. Chiyuk had a brown fox, and Chiyi had a red fox. Chiyi, with his fox, emerged from the earth first. Chiyuk asked, How did you emerge? Chiyi replied, I looked up and opened my eyes as I came out of the earth. As Chiyuk came up with his eyes open, Chiyi picked up earth and threw it in his brother's eyes, blinding him. Chiyuk and Chiyi made the different sorts of birds, but because of his blindness, Chiyuk could not make perfect birds. The mouths and feet were too big. The two brothers put green leaves in the water, which sick birds drank, and they became well. After making all the birds in the world, they reported to Pukamet, who said, All right. Chiyuk went hunting and returned home to find that Chiyi had exchanged the foxes while he was away. In anger, Chiyuk went into the ground. He wanted to wreck all of this earth and to make all of the birds sick. Chiyi was left alone on the surface of the earth. He discovered the cause of the trouble and braced the earth with his hand, but diseases came up between his fingers. Chiyuk stayed underground a month and then came up from the east. After a month, he disappeared behind the earth again. He continues to do this even now, spending a month beneath the earth and then a month above it. Above the earth, he now appears as the constellation Chi. Chi Yi made all the different mammals, birds, reptiles, fishes, etc., who were in human form at first, but not man. He gave them to Pukamet. At night, Pukamet made a fire so that all the people came to it. Moon attended the meeting also. Moon said, I want to get up and tell you about myself. One of the things I wish to tell you is that I desire to go along with the sun, but I want to die in the east. Then after four days, I will be reborn in the west. I wanted to tell you this. Then Moon told the people the six-month names which they were to use. These will be my names, he said. The word for month was Jasa. This was the sound which the god Pukamet made frequently during his illness when coughing or clearing his throat. Then Coyote spoke. Moon 
is talking about dying and returning after four days in the west. That is all right. Moon left the east, where he became old. Then he went around to the west, where he appeared young. When Moon left, Bookmet was still living. The month of his death is not known. A little bird and another little bird were sitting at the fire. They said, when a bird dies, he will never return. So it will be with people because with babies being born right along, there would be too many people. At this assembly around the fire, there lay on the ground a small lizard. He was silent until the sun was rising. Then he talked and immediately died. Pukamet was with the company, but he said nothing about the dead person. Finally, someone arose and asked what to do with the corpse. Pukamet said to take it east. After a few minutes, another man asked Pukamet what was to be done with the dead man. Then Pukamet told them to get three poles, lay these over a hole in the ground, and burn the corpse on them. The people did that. Frog, the daughter of Pukamet, was at the meeting too. She caused her father's death by extracting a hair from his head, putting it in mud, and throwing it to another frog which swallowed it. That act made Pukamet sick. Pukamet went to Mount San Jacinto, hoping that Sikapai, the god of that mountain, could cure him. But Sikapai did not know how to cure him, so Pukamet returned. Then he went to a mountain on the California, Lower California border. There the god Sikayi, whom Pukamet besought to cure him, could do nothing for him. Pukamet was then taken to Waikawa. He could not be cured there, and so he went eastward to the mountain Weakam, where he died. When Pukamet died, his blood ran down to the ground and became Mouse. Thereafter, Mouse took Pukamet's place in telling the people in what months to plant and gather crops. The people went to the mountain Wikami, leaving Mouse behind. He went about stealing food while people were away. He was the first to steal. Pukamet's body was burned on the mountain Wikami. Then the funeral pyre was blazing. It looked as if the mountain were afire. Before the pyre was ignited, the people stood around. They looked for fire. Coyote suggested that they get fire from the sun. So Coyote went to the sun for fire. Before he returned with it, the pyre was ignited. When Coyote came to the crowd of mourners surrounding the pyre, he leapt over them, seizing Pukamet's heart, ran off with it, and ate it. The mountain is covered with grease from the god's heart, and hence called Grease Mountain. After the funeral, the people assembled at the mountain Wikimi. The god Mastamho presided and asked each person if he would be the leader. Donkey arose and said he would be the leader of the people. Mastamho decreed otherwise, saying, No, you will carry water and many things on your back. Donkey replied, No. I do not want to do that. In a few minutes, he lost his human form and became a donkey. Thereafter, all the people turned into animals. Some grew feathers, some scales, some hair. Then the large 
birds arose, flew around, and flew back to the starting place. Then all the birds and mammals and other creatures departed, and Mastamho was left alone at Wicked. Mastamho then created human beings. He made the humans first. The following morning, he made the Chimawake, but he made them pygmies. Then he made the Mission Indians. Clay was the material of which he made men. He made ten of each kind. Pygmies grew into full-sized men. From the sky, white women came to earth at Wiccan. She went to the north, Mustafa said to her, I will give you everything. Others heard this and wished to have everything too. But Mustamho said they should settle at different places. To a white woman, he gave clothing, which he told her not to burn at funerals. Two white children were first born of white women in the beginning of the world. Mustamho said there would be white people in the north. He made European articles such as coins and steel swords. He threw them all into the river, but said they would come back again. One of these swords was picked up by a woman. White woman bore many children, all conceived without a man. As these children grew up, they scattered over the world in all directions, especially to the south, where the country became thickly populated. They were short in stature. After Mastamo had created all the people, he said, We have nothing here for you to use. We have no pottery. Hidden under the ocean, in the south, was the great snake, Mayahuachuit, who had been created by the gods Chief and Chief. It was spotted with various colors and was the repository of knowledge. Mastamo conceived the idea of inviting the great snake to come to the mountain, Wikami, to attend the mourning ceremony, which the Kami and other peoples were to hold. He sent a Kami to invite the monster. The snake came and entered the Kuyuk house, but there was room for only half of his body. Therefore, they enlarged the house so that he could get his entire body within it. The people who were sitting in the house, when the snake arrived, had to leave it to make room for it. Mastamho said, We should not allow Mayahwechewit to return to his home. We must burn the house and his body so that you tribes will get the different songs from his body. Then they burned the house with the monster in it, and the songs issued from his body as spirit verses. Thus, the various tribes got their songs. The Kamie obtained a mourning song cycle, Kayotai song cycle, Nyonyumer song cycle, which the Mojave are said also to have, Tamanak song cycle, Tamiakwil song cycle, and Tatamayur song cycle. The last four are said to have issued forth as spirit persons from the second Chayatai. The Kokopa also sang some Chayatai songs. Tipai songs were not obtained on this occasion. Though they are Kamiya songs sung by both Kamiya and Yagwena, Mastamo now told the people that they should leave the mountain Wicami and go to their future lands. Because they walked in the river water, the tribes became brown-skinned. The Mojave settled in the vicinity of the mountain. 
Some Chimawebi went a short way to the north, others to the south. The other tribes moved south. Three stopped at Blythe, the Maricopo, the Koana, and the Hachilmo. The other tribes came on south to Yuma, where the Colorado River passes between two bluffs. Some of the Yuma stopped there to take possession of the land in the vicinity. On the hill where the agency buildings now stand, they put up their right hands and said, We are going to take this land on the north side and the south side. Other Yuma went to the mountain Wikiona in Lower California, where they stopped. There they lived many years, planting there a kind of food called hatsaw. This was a small orange-colored fruit, which grows on shrubs about as tall as a man. After a time, the Yuma moved to Kwasik, where there were big rocks. Two more tribes came from the north. They followed along the Colorado River and finally stopped at Matkan. They were the Kokopa and the Akwala. The Kamiya came partway with the Yuma and then left them and went to the eastern shore of the Sultan Sea. The sea was large then and where El Centro is now. There was the sea. Later they moved to Indian Wells and to Sexenwine, near Fulfill. There were ten men of each tribe. The ten Kamiya men were the ancestors of ten lineages. Some of the Kamiya passed through the Imperial Valley and into the mountains of San Diego County and became Dia de Guino. There they had no seed to plant but found wild plant foods, deer, and mountain sheep. The tribes of Mission Indians were also near the southern end of Salton Sea. They became afraid of the Kamiya, hence the Kawiya and other Shoshonean tribes fled northwestward. Later, there came from the Mountain Wikami three persons who were to be the Kamiya leaders. They were a hermaphrodite called Orharmi, and her twin sons, both called Madkohalmai. These three had learned much at Wickham. They came south along the Colorado River. They found the feathers of birds which had died as they traveled along day after day. The feathers were of the birds Paul, Tuckwill, and Kusal. The three travelers made headdresses of these feathers and painted their faces as for war. They brought arrows, bows, and clubs. From the Colorado River at Yuma, they crossed over to Imperial Valley. Their appearance so frightened the Kamiya that they fled in all directions. One Kamiya woman did not flee before the three. She was married by one of the Matkohomi twins. Then the three newcomers and the woman settled at Sazdawan. The seeds of maize and beans had been given them by Mustampa. These the three travelers brought from Wikimedia and planted at Sazenway, thus introducing cultivation in the Imperial Valley. Those Diaguino who had gone to the mountains to live failed to receive the seeds. The three travelers brought the seeds of certain wild plants as well. At Sazenway, Orharmi and the twins planted, for they found wet ground there. Before 
their departure from Wakami. Mastamho had explained how everything was to be done. He had said that Warhami and the two Madquahomai were to be farmers, and that they should go to dwell among the Kami, whom Mastamho had sent to live on the shores of the Salton Sea. The two Madquahomai had brought arrows, bows, and clubs, which had been unknown to the Kamea hitherto. The twins called a conclave of the Kamea at Sesnuai, and there gave bows and arrows to each lineage, and instructed the people in their use. One lineage asked what use the weapons would be, and one of the twins replied they would need them for war. The Yuma did not receive the bow and arrow. They had been given the feathered stabbing pike by Mastamho at Wickhami. They said that they would use that weapon in the morning ceremony, and that he would help them make the ceremony. The two Madquahomai asked the Yuma to bring the feathered stabbing pike and show the Kamiya at Sazmoy. Thereafter, the different tribes formed alliances and began to fight. The Mission Indians formed one group. In another were the Kamiya, Yuma, Mojave, Shawabi, and Apache. In a third alliance were the Kokopa, Maricopa, and Pima. The Madquahomai, who married the Kamiya women, begot twins. The people were astonished at this dual birth and asked the husband what was wrong. The jealous suspicions of the married brother were aroused against his twin. The unmarried brother answered, saying, You know why you have twins. It is because you are my son. That is why you have boy twins. The husband believed him. Later, twins were born to other women until the whole Kamiya tribe was made up of twins. Well, I hope that my pronunciation or mispronunciation of quite a few names and locations didn't put everyone completely off. But that was a fun little story of how different people, places, and things came about within that particular area of California-ish. So now, we should move on to our next tale. This particular story is called The First Aliyah. This particular tale is a Mojave story of the first two-spirit person. The Mojave people are where the Mojave Desert gets its name. This tribe lives around the Colorado River alongside the Navajo and Hopi in parts of California, Arizona, and Nevada. Let's jump right in and discover how two spirit folk came to be. It was inside the house at Ekwan. Four women were sitting near Mastamo. He said to the one at the southeast, to Hatsinye. Masam Aritse. You are the one who will be a doctor, I think. Then he said to the one sitting to the northwest, You are the one who will not listen to what your kin say to you. You will be loose. And to Umusiru, a man sitting to the southwest, he said, And you are the one who will have intercourse with her. Umasiru did not answer. 
Now two other women were sitting there, Hatsinye Kutparve at the northwest and Hatsinye Kwatsi at the southwest. Hatsinye Kutparve was about to have a baby, and Hatsinye Kwatsi was going to receive it and held out her left hand. But Mastamo said, no, take it with the right hand. That will be good. Now lay the child's head to the north, not to the south. Then it will dream well. If it lies to the south, it will dream badly. Now the baby lay there looking around. Sit back from him now, Mastamo said. That boy knows much more than you all. He will be a leader. The baby was looking this way and that, its eyes winking. Then it said, I want a name. What will you call me? Mastano said, he is a boy, but I think we will give him not a boy's name, nor a man's, but a girl's. I call him Itsinye Taikwatsi. Mastamo picked up the baby, held it in his hands. I will tell you all about it. I want you to learn what I will teach about this child. Then he sang, swaying his hands from side to side with the child on them, and the four women danced to his motions. When he laid the child down, the boy thought, I'm a boy, but shall I wear a breech clout or not? Shall I wear girls' clothes or boys? I was there. I saw it. I heard Mastamho singing. I did not sing then, but I know how to. Now the boy was old enough to play about. He was no black willow, yet in existence so, Mastamo created it to make a bow from it. Then he gave it to him. Carrying his bow, the boy went outdoors to where little girls were playing. But he did not keep the bow. First, he held it behind his back. Then, looking around to see if he was unobserved, he threw it away. When the little girls came indoors, Stamo asked them, Did the boy keep his bow? One of them answered, He had no bow. He had been ashamed to tell them of it. Then Stamo made him another. Perhaps he did not like that one. Perhaps he will like a different one. He split Black Willow, made a bow, feathered arrows, and gave them to him. Then the boy went outdoors. He went into a group of girls. He walked four steps and let his bow fall to the ground. They said to him, pick up your bow and arrow, but he did not answer. Then one of them, Itsinye Masam Kovitskai, went over, picked it up, and held it out to him. But he only looked at it. He would not take it. They came indoors from their playing, and Mustanho asked, How about the boy? A girl said, He threw it away. I have it. Yes, said Mustanho. He did not keep it. Yes, he did not keep it, she said. Mustanho thought, I think it did not suit him. I will make him a different one. I will scrape it fine and white and put a feather on it, and another and another. So he gave the boy a pretty bow and arrow. The boy went outside, took four steps northwest of the house, threw down his bow and arrow, where a group of girls had sat down to make dolls. They said to him, we will make you a doll. 
They did not look him in the face, but said softly to one another, I think the boy is going to be a girl. He wants a doll. He said, I do not want a doll. I know how to make it for myself. He would not take the one they offered him. He held his hands in front of him and moved them slowly and jerked sideways, out and back, singing softly inside of himself. The girls said to one another, Don't look at him, don't look at him, or he will be ashamed and not play with dolls anymore. When they had played, they started to go indoors again. Here, take your bow, a girl said and handed it to him. He did not take hold of it right, by the grip in the middle, but dangling from the string, and followed them in. Look at him, they thought. He's not doing the right way. He is going to become a girl. Mastamo asked them, How did he do this time? Has he his bow? They said, No, when he arrived he threw it northwest. He did not take care of it, but got a doll and sat like a girl, with the doll lying across his thighs. Then what did he do? I don't know. He played with his doll the same as we. So Mastamo called the boy to him. Give me your hand, he said. First, we called you Katsinye Kwakarga, but that will not be your name any longer. You will be Katsinye Tomasi. Now you may go with these girls. Then Mastamo made a set of stave dice out of his breath and spittle and handed them to the boy. I give you this. The boy seized them, held them tight so as not to lose them, tucked them away. Mastamo said, Come on outdoors. Let us try whether this boy will play dice like the girl. But do not turn to the east. Who goes that way will be a doctor. Go by the right hand, then it will be well. So all stood about to see whether the boy would play like a girl. A woman was sitting at the southwest lap. The boy sat on the northeast facing her. He took the dice to throw them with his left hand and said, and she said, no, throw them with the right. When he threw them up, she was opposite, stuck them in midair and scattered. Then everyone laughed and there was a big noise. And the boy too laughed like a woman now and smiled like one. Then the woman threw the staves up and he struck them down. And again, all laughed. As they started again to play the third time, all the girls who had been sitting rose to kneel to see better. And the boy threw. When the woman was to throw for the fourth play, Mastambo said, Stand up, everybody. Are you all standing? When they said yes, the woman threw. The boy caught them in his hand, and all laughed. One could hear it far off. Now the boy had it. He knew all that the girls knew. Mastambo said, When I made these dice, I gave them to this boy, and now... He has them. Now all the women and girls came close to me. I will tell you. That boy will stand in front and he will be the head one. Then Mastamo sang. He has it. Then he said to him, Now you have it in your name will be Hitsinye Tomosike. Two women were laughing. They wanted the boy to laugh like themselves. Then he laughed like that. Now you laugh like a woman, they said. Then Mastamo went over to all the girls to sing and stood 
At the southeast, the boy faced him from the northeast, and listening to them. And after Mastamahu had said it four times, the boy sang, I hear it. Then he danced, first to the west, and in the south, north, east, four times. Now Mastamahu made a dress out of his body and handed it to the boy. I give you the dress, he said. So the boy put it on, the thick, wide apron piece behind, the narrow one in the front. Now walk, said Mastamahu, so we can see how you look moving. So the boy took four steps, then turned and faced them. Mastamahu asked him, now you have heard what I told the women about how to dress and behave. Do you understand that? The boy said yes, nodding his head. The Alia can cure sexual disease. Alia is also the name for Conorrhea. That is why the Indians had that sickness. Mustamho gave it to them, and these Alia were to cure it. Syphilis and blue scrotum came from the whites. Gonorrhea they had before. Mustamho said, we will sing and see how you dance. So he sang, and all the women danced on the east, the boy standing, dancing alone on the west. Mustamo wanted to lead them outdoors. He was singing, and they followed him dancing. When they were all out, Mustamo asked Hetsinye Tomosiki, Do you understand what I have taught you? Yes, I heard it. I know it. Well, let me see you do it then. So the boy stood facing west, with Mustamo behind him, and talked to all of the women opposite. Then they all together answered, with a loud noise. Eh! Mustama walked about behind the boy, listening, whether he said everything right. He had said, You can do it, you know how. I will not tell you more. So the boy was telling the women and the girls what to do, and they took one another's hands and listened to him. He said, All you girls and people approach. Then he sang and danced, and they danced with him. Mustamo had told him, when you dance, walk backward and make them follow you forward. So he walked forward and toward Mustamo, singing. And Mustamo backed too, and all the others followed him. He sang loudly, and they all sang with him. And as he sang, he blew saliva on them, white spots, as if they were painted. When they finished singing, Mustamo spoke again. I ordain that some women, when married, will be quiet and good workers. And some will not stay with their husbands, but be loose. And some will be doctors, but not married. That is why there are few women doctors. Well, we are all here. Let us go south after four steps. I will arrange a place. I will call it Miak Orbe. This is where we will stop and do something. So they all came to Miak Orbe. There Mustama said, I call you Hatsinye Masam Mitsoba, and all the women danced as he talked to them. And so what did you think of the story of the first two-spirit person? Now, with that one, I definitely know I was mispronouncing some stuff. But I have... There was a character in the name of the two-spirit person who was kind of a healer, and uh, I don't know what that letter is. So... If anyone out there knows, you can email us. Uh, but yeah, I thought it was a fun story. So the next tale 
is one that is uh, composed by the Crow, whose ancestral lands are located in what is now Montana. And they have this fun lesbian love story called Red Hair's Hair. I hope you all enjoy. A young man was going to marry a young girl. She said, if you'll bring me some of Red Hair's hair, you may marry me. The young man went to another Indian and asked, who and where is Red Hair? If I told you, should you go there? Yes. Why should you go there? I wanted to marry a young woman, and she said, if you bring me some of Red Hair's hair, I'll marry you. The man pointed in a certain direction. It is very far. You'll never get there. Yes, I'll get there. He took 100 arrows and set out. After a while, he came to a teepee, and in it sat a man. The one who told the youth about Red Hair advised him to kill a sheep and bring it to the man in the teepee in order to get his advice. So now the man asked, Where are you going that you have brought this for me? I'm going to Red Hair. Why? I want to marry a girl. She said, If you want to marry me, you must bring me some of Red Hair's hair. Those are strong people. I do not think you can do anything. You will get to a creek and see a white teepee there. Before you get to it, kill an elf and take it in there. When he left this advisor, he accordingly killed an elf and put it at the door of the white teepee. In it, there was a man who asked, Where are you going? You have killed game for me. No one has ever done this before. I am going to see Red Hair. Why? I wanted to marry a girl, and she will not marry me unless I fetch some of Red Hair's hair. They are strong people that you're going to. Now, when you leave this place, you will get to a river and find a white teepee there. Kill a female deer and bring it over. The owner of the teepee is a young woman. She will give you advice. When you come to the last teepee, I'll go there myself and help you too. The young man went to the next white teepee. He killed a female deer and brought it to the door. The girl came out, took the game, and bade him enter. Where are you going to? You're all alone. Still you have come. I'm going to Red Hair. Why do you want to go there? I want to marry a girl. She said she would not marry me unless I brought some of Red Hair's hair. He is a strong man, a little way from here. There's a little creek. There's a white teepee there, standing all alone. Kill a female antelope and bring it to the door. The one in the teepee will give you advice, and I'll go there too and help you. The young man went on, killed an antelope, and put it at the door. A woman came out and found it. Where are you going? No one has ever done this before. I saw your teepee and I thought I'd kill some game for you. Where are you going? I'm going to Red Hair. Why? I want to marry a girl, and she won't marry me unless I fetch some of Red Hair's hair. Oof, you are going to a powerful one. Stop, and I'll give you advice. Now the girl he had seen before, and the two men also came to the teepee, and all four debated, what can we do so he'll be able to get the hair? 
Each one gave his opinion. One of the men said, All of us earth people are lecherous. We'll have to make use of this in order to get it. They agreed upon this. One of the young women was a white-tailed deer, the other an ant. The men asked these two to help the young man, so one of them took the tops of two ant hills and made breasts out of them for the man's body, and the other gave him her vulva. Then they called the wolverine and asked him to change the young man into a woman. When he had done so, one of the men was told to embrace the transformed young man. He said that he was just like a woman now. Now they advised him, it's not good for you to get too close for watchers. He has the coyote and the crane. When anything comes close, the crane will hoot and the coyote will howl. This is the signal. Then they have dogs and a big wolf and one snake watcher. These are dangerous. For a short time after noon, the crane and the coyote fall asleep. When you get to a ridge, change yourself into a little ant and travel as fast as possible. The dogs are not so particular, and when you have passed them, change back again. He will fall in love with you, and you must tell him that you want to marry Red Hair. He started out. He got to the ridge and turned into an ant. He went as fast as possible. Both the crane and the coyote were asleep. Dogs were watching, but the ant passed between them. The crane woke up, but it was too late. Red hair saw the woman. I wonder how this woman came here in spite of all the watchers. He asked her, Why have you come? I want to marry the chief red hair. You want to marry me? You may sit here. She sat beside him. The young woman advised the young man to get to Ratipi as soon as possible after getting his hair. Red Hair's brothers came back from the chase. How is this? they asked. She came to marry me, and I have married her, so they cooked food for her. Sometime after this, they returned from hunting and gave food to the couple, saying to the chief, Take this wife man's arm. They went on another hunt, came back with food, cooked it, and gave it to the woman, saying, sister-in-law man's arm. When the young man was transformed, they had forgotten to change his arms, which remained scarred. The woman said to the husband, Your brothers say my arms are a man's. They are insulting me. I've had children, and when I mourned for them, I got these scars. So, Red Hair told his brothers not to insult his wife, and that she had had to mourn her relatives. One of the brothers said, Is your wife a woman? Do you have marital relations with her? Many times. That may be, but she has the breath of a man. To prove it, let her go out of the teepee door. She'll have the step of a man. Her husband grew angry. She's a woman, don't you see her breasts? I've had marital relations with her all the time. We'll find out sooner or later whether she is a man. The transformed young man stayed there with red hair for a long time. One day, the woman was lousing and his face was on her lap. She touched the tender part of the back of his head. He was asleep. She felt for the tender part, took a knife, and stabbed him. He made no outcry, but simply gave one kick and died. 
She got his hair as best she could. She went out. The dogs paid no attention to her. The crane, looking through the smoke hole, saw that his master was bald-headed and began to hoot. The coyote howled. The young man had deer power, hence was a good runner, and began to run now. Red Hair's brothers were out butchering, but they heard the crane and the coyote. They said, just as we said, that fellow who was married to him must be at the bottom of this. They went home and saw their brother bald-headed. They followed the fugitive's tracks. He had already got to the site of the girl's teepee, but there was no teepee there, only a little anthill. Under it was a large hole. He went through the hole and got to the site of the second teepee where there was a vine. The pursuers saw the ant and thought they were too harmless to trick them. Have you seen anyone? Yes, we saw a white-tailed deer. They got to the white-tailed deer woman. Have you seen anything pass here? Yes, a white-tailed deer. They got to the first man, and he said, There is an eagle that flew past here. He seemed to have been in great haste. They got to the fourth advisor. He said, I saw a white hawk flying as fast as possible. He looked as though he were running away. How long ago was this? A rather long time ago. He was going so fast I don't think he can catch up. Then the brothers said, we are helpless. They turned back. The swallow was sent to watch them go. It followed them to their place and reported that they had got home. The young man came out of the last teeth. He had the hair of red hair. He went home to his own people. He gave the hair to the girl. Here's what you wished for. And he married her. Or perhaps she married her. Well, that was a fun story with a lot of little shenanigans. I think that it would make a great comedy. Well, I'm looking here and it looks as though the fire is dying. While the embers still glow, their light will have to guide all of you back indoors to get tucked warmly under blankets so that you may drift off into land of dreams. Wait, you want just one more story? Okay. I did mention something earlier about a sodomizing lizard. So, this story is how Lizard Sodomized Coyote. This short and hilarious tale was told by George Laird of the Chemehuevi tribe. They traditionally live in Southern California, Arizona, and just dip into Northern Mexico. I hope you will get a little giggle out of this story just as I do. While Coyote was going along, he heard a shrill whistle that sounded like... Oh, Coyote, come over and fuck my ass. Who is that that wants me to come and fuck their ass? Saying this, Coyote was looking all around. And then he found Lizard. What did you say? Oh, Coyote, I'm gonna fuck your ass. Thus, I said. No. Oh, Coyote, come over and fuck my ass. That is what you said. I did not, Coyote. I'm gonna fuck your ass. 
That is what I said. Nope. I'm gonna do it to you first. Nuh-uh. I'm gonna do it to you first. I said it first. Then, Lizard did it to Coyote. When he got through, he ran away and entered into a crack in a rock. Come out, I'm gonna do it to you too. When Lizard did not come out, Coyote began to jab at him, poking a stick into the crack. From the inside of this crack, the lizard sang. The sky will fall if I die, if I die. The sky will fall if I die, if I die. Thus said the lizard. What are you saying? The sky would fall if you should die? Saying this, Coyote began to poke him again. Then, the sky made a cracking sound. It seems that you have told the truth. That being so, you may live! <laughs> okay, I hope all of you enjoyed that silly little story. It is time now to scurry off to bed. I look forward to finding your ears again next week for the last official episode of the first season of this podcast. Until then, keep warm, uh, don't eat too much at Thanksgiving, and maybe tell one of these stories around the fire. Well, maybe save the coyote fucking the lizard story until after the kiddos have been tucked in. I would like to give special thanks to uh, Pixabay. That site always has fun sound effects that I think help to elevate the show. If you want to get in touch with the podcast, you can send an email off to ahistorymostqueer at gmail.com or visit Instagram at ahistorymostqueer. There you can find images for each episode. You can also send a message to me there. Until next week, I bid you adieu. Bye-bye. <laughs>